Today's guest is John F. White, one of the world's leading researchers into mythology. He's also the founder of the research and education organization, Craig and Ford, which also shares the same name of the very, very popular YouTube channel where they delve into literally every ancient mystery you can think of. In this podcast alone, we talk about the origins of religion, whether or not psychedelics played a role, who the real Jesus was, who the real Noah was, Oracle at Delphi, witches, witchcraft, magic, what this means to us as a society and where we're going. There is something for you in this podcast. I guarantee you, if you've been alive on planet Earth, something that John knows and researches has touched you. One of the best things about it is that he can give you a perspective that you normally would not get because he delves so deep in all of his videos. It's an honor to have him here. This is the second time he's been on, so check out part one if you haven't, and do us a huge favor, please, and leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes, and of course, check out our Rumble. Links are right down below. Enjoy the podcast. See you guys soon. The way of Will John. Everyone, as you can see, who's drinking tea on your screens right now. I don't have my tea. I forgot the tea. I was. <laughs> I wanted good. to start off by being like, yeah, I've got my tea and everything. John, how's it going? Well, it's a pleasure to see you again. Absolute pleasure. Yes. Yeah, okay. It's good. Good. As always, uh, you have such a wealth of knowledge, and there's so many different things we can go down. And uh, I've been a fan of your channel ever since I you know, found out about you and it's really hard to have these conversations because like I said, we're going to have to have one in person that we can do this like four hour Absolutely. sit down, you know, uh, but today I want to discuss some things that I have to do. I guess you could call them with hidden history, but it's also religion. Obviously we're going to be going down these, these myths and I always have these interesting, um, let's say questions and curiosities. Uh, about the origins and the links between what these myths mean, how they connect to us today. And so just with that, could we kind of start with, you did a video about religions and the origins of religions. And that's a hard one for everyone to, you know, to swallow considering the meshing of everything. Could you maybe give some sort of, I don't know, synopsis of, of that? Yes, so um, what I was trying to understand is why do we believe in gods? That's what I was trying to get to and, and what caused that. And so I basically start with all the popular religions in the world today and, and realise they all come from a quite a, you know, a central point. And then if you just drill down, you eventually come to a point where there are no gods. And then you think, well, what are we thinking about? And then we try and find ritual behaviour and then... It basically concludes, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the video, that actually it seems like death is the key where it caused such an emotional I don't know, stirring within us that we thought there must be something there. And that's where we see the earliest ritual behaviours. And we can see that a show on Netflix recently about Herman Nadali, burials in the back of a cave, 300,000 years old, but we have what we call mortuary, mortuary behaviour, mortuary rituals occurring longer ago than that, maybe 430,000 years ago is our oldest mortuary behaviour where we see uh, Neanderthals arranging the dead in a pit. Um, and so we see that, and we, and we know it's a ritual because people are deliberately placed and very often uh, they, they are then buried uh, 
which is another deliberate act. And where we see grave goods, then we know actually there's a deliberate thinking going on that these people need something in an afterlife. And so that must mean there is some kind of what we would consider religious thinking going on. I, with also the, and I'm curious actually also, just because I don't get to hear you talk about it maybe too much, what you draw from that as humans and us as a society. We now are distant from death, majority of us uh, in our daily life. We don't have to think about it. And what spirituality means, and, and, the, and I'm just so curious of what could be real and what could be so, you know, because if they're, if they're having a hard time dealing with death, uh, are they perhaps, do they know something else? Do they, did they deal with something else? What sort of conclusion at all have you possibly drawn, if you could? Yes, as you raised some good points there. So the first one is in this modern day, death to us, certainly in the modern world, is, is really removed from our ancestors. So most people today die in hospital in a cold non-familiar environment and the family isn't necessarily around you and how awful is that to die like that compared to dying at home with your family around you and and that, that yeah and so we have to get into a mindset of of that so if death is a thing where your family's around you and you sit there's a group grieving process happening immediately and i think that's quite important and, you know, for anyone who has suffered loss, and we all mourn in different ways, but, they, you know, especially if you lose a child, because, you know, infant mortality was fairly high. I mean, even a couple of hundred years ago, let alone thousands of years ago, and many of the burials we see tend to be children. Not all of them, but, you know, the, the earliest uh, hominid burial, or the homo sapien burial in Africa is a child. And so a mother losing her child must be absolutely distraught you can only yeah you so yes that that's and that's why i think it's probably the earliest form of religious belief why has someone taken my child away from me uh, and then initially burials would have been a safety feature i.e if you left a dead body lying around lions or hyenas maybe coming along to try and eat it and you don't want that to happen so you bury it out of safety but then there's also this connection if you're burying them in a deliberate position and with something you're obviously hoping that actually their body may have died, but what's in them continues into another life as sort of some kind of spirituality or soul um, as such. I mean, there's different words for it, different beliefs of it. A life force is, is often used. Um, but yes, that's what I, th I think. I think people believed that whilst the body wasn't active, the life force that made that body still existed. Yeah, that's a that's a sentiment that's you know that has you know obviously existed and is common throughout plenty of religions, obviously. And if they come from this point, as you're saying, maybe you could touch on the commonalities between religions. We just had on Matt Lacroix. Matt uh, studies uh, history and hidden history and things like this, and he was telling the story of Noah, right? And obviously, there's Epic of Gilgamesh and all these other things. I'm, yeah. Many before Perhaps there's that. more. Yes, many okay. before that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. What about yeah, Gilgamesh and Flood and or? Well, I mean, obviously, we discussed what he discussed. Actually, was finding something before the Younger Dryad, so a civilization that was advanced 
before that. So for the people who are listening, is that not just 11,000 years that there was, because that's the one we all talk about. 11,000, 10,000 years ago, something happened, boom, We and this is what we talk about. But he's saying they found some stuff that's like 30, 40, 50, potentially older. What are your thoughts? Okay, so the 11,000 years ago, post Younger Dryas, is the agricultural revolution. And it's sort of, in a way, a coincidence that there was a Younger Dryas and agricultural revolution, you know, big events, i.e. we learned to farm crops properly. Uh, however, it happened because of climate change, in effect. You know, the climate was good in the Levant, uh, as we call it, so you know, around Anatolia, Syria, down Israel, that, that region of the world, and so, so cross growing. But before then, you know, people think, well, before that we weren't doing anything, but yes, we, we were eating grasses at 20,000 years ago. So the seeds of agricultural farming were planted, say, 20 millennia ago. We have um, stone buildings starting to be constructed 16, 17,000 years ago. So, again, 10,000 years before people really think about it. So we can see humans developing, and we can see odd moments of, okay, it's all of, what would you call it, innovation, I guess, which, which peter out, so one-offs. But in terms of an advanced civilization, um, you know, that maybe had the will or, or could create arches and things like that, you know, in, in terms of masonry, that I just do not believe they would have existed pre-20,000 years ago. Just no way. Okay. Where does Atlantis fall for most people? Uh, Atlantis falls the Younger Dryas period. So, it's, it okay. was, so um, that is the Younger Dryas period. Post- in effect, okay. yeah, they, yeah, it comes from the pulse waters. So there was a big lake in North America, oh. and when the weather warmed up, the lake, in effect, flooded the oceans, which caused sea levels to rise. And if you ask people like Hancock, you would say, oh, that exactly ties in with the date that Plato says Atlantis exists. Right. Uh, did we go over Atlantis last time? We did. And I'm we did a very skeptical. Okay. Yes, I, I, it, it didn't. Atlantis <laughs> isn't real. It's a bit of philosophy from Plato. That's all. Okay. Okay. Uh, then I, I want to touch on, and I don't know when this time period was. I don't remember in the, in the video that I was watching. You even held up a book, uh, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Cross. Yes. John yes. Yes. And also, but the, the whole video, and guys will link to this video, of course, and all of his stuff there, but dealt with the influence of psychedelics and just the, the mythology behind that. And it was it's completely fascinating. It's something we had on Dr. Andrew Gallimore, who studies DMT uh, and is involved in tests with DMT. Obviously, uh, crazy things can happen. Uh, that's, a, that's an understatement. And I think they've also studied the effects of other psychedelics and magic mushrooms, et cetera, et cetera. But um, this is something that I think is contested by the mainstream too, to some degree, how the effect or uh, that it really placed. Could you just tell us about not just the uh, the origins and ideas of this, but the myths behind it, and then we can talk about the, the drink. It's, there's a couple of things here. So probabilistically, it seems like there is some kind of psychedelics being drunk and we know this because we see texts in old norse texts in zoroastrianism texts in uh, greek uh, texts in hindu culture or vedic culture all insinuating or implying that when you drink this drink something happens to you you visit the gods you approach near death all these things uh, and and it's yeah say so it's across a vast 
swathe of land, which I would call sort of like the Indo-European landscape. So it seems like a an Indo-European thing, which means basically from Scandinavia down to India. It was a vast swathe of land. Uh, and, and so we see this talking about drinking a libation and, and, and wonderful things happen. You become immortal, whatever. Oh, you know, in, in Old Norse, you see Odin discover magic within this state. Now, the question or the pushback I often get is that if it was so popular and so widespread, how comes we don't know about it today? How comes that drink recipe doesn't exist? And that's a good point. That's a good point. But you also have to remember that where we're talking about has also been heavily influenced through Christianization, who weren't particularly keen on pagan ritual. And so that could be one way why it was uh, removed. And it isn't like we've forgotten about it because people are aware of magic mushrooms and LSD and they're like. So, yeah, it's, it's um, evidence makes me think that such a thing did exist. Now, there's another book, uh, The Immortality Key, uh, by Brian, I think it's Mereskadu or, or something like that, very different, quite a famous book, uh, where he talks about a barley beer coming from the Near East. And his view was that barley is often um, infected by the ergot fungus, and the ergot fungus tends to have properties similar to LSD. And his view was that because people were drinking this beer uh, and they really enjoyed drinking this beer, and by beer, it isn't what you get down your local bar. It is basically water and barley with a dirty hand put in, which probably had a bit of mould and yeast that helped the fermenting <laughs> process going on. Yeah, so yeah. it's quite cold and quite yucky. But if it made you high, people liked it. And that's the reason why people settled down and started to grow crops because they loved it so much. Must drink it. And we see, and he, he talks about that influence going into Greece and being part of the Illusion uh, cults, which is a secretive cult. So we don't know much about what they did, uh, but we talk about the Illusion mysteries. Uh, and then because Greece significantly influenced Rome, uh, we start seeing the Eucharist apply in Rome in Christianity when it comes along uh, around 300 CE or, or two, 250 CE, we see this. And it is thought that perhaps the drinking of wine, a bit of bread, is in effect a, a sort of a further development of the process of drinking the drink. Now, whether it contained psilocybin at that point, we're unsure. And it, some people say perhaps the priesthood knew about it and stopped putting it in the drink and kept it for themselves. So they had this way of talking to God, which other people couldn't. And that makes perfect sense because we see, as I say, in the Indo-European texts that people take this to talk to their gods, be closer to God. So... Yeah, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there is a drink going on. Let's say there's lots of quotes um, from different passages in, in various texts, from the Rig Veda to the Poetic Edda, and, and in between, that all, all reflect this state. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one, especially the the idea that you take it to be a part of the gods, and it's so distant and so banned. It makes me, it makes it hard. I mean, I don't know if you've ever ingested, and you don't need to say if you've ever tried anything, but the uh, idea there, though, of having such an easy access to the gods and, and, and once taken it and you know that you're doing something different than what you're doing now makes me tend to believe that someone could hoard it or ban it. They might just be like, ah, I'll do the, I'll be the portal. I'll talk to the guy. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. You're but... implying that priests were the first drug dealers there, I think, Will. Um... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so who, who knows? And that's how the church got rich. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. 
<laughs> but you also within that uh, that lecture, let's say, let's call it, you gave the potential. Uh, it was a side note, but just a potential origins of the um, the origins of spit and handshake. Yes, uh, spittle chops. Yeah. Yeah, what was that? I had no idea about that. So, um, if, if you see an old Western or something, you see people make a deal and they spit in their hand and shake their hand. You think, well, what are they spitting in their hand? And what we find is if we go back in time that actually there are a fair number of ritualistic behaviours that involve spit. Uh, and these include uh, spitting in a bucket uh, as part of uh, making peace between tribes. They include spitting out... Um, chewed fruit to create drink for some reason um, and that's sometimes linked to Vassir or or this mead of poetry um, and so uh, yeah and and we see uh, we saw Jesus uh, I think he's batting to clay to help create clay to put on the eyes of a blind man to him to see uh, and, and we see all things like that we see spitting healing charms in Anglo-Saxon um, texts so yes there's a thing where humans have thought that spittle has some kind of property uh, about it and so yeah the, the the interesting part of that story i guess is the old norse gods uh, had a war at the start of time that is the dominant belief in terms of mythology uh, and they all spat into a vat for peace and they made a person out of this spit and that person was the most knowledgeable person ever which again links this spit to uh, this drink like if you chew fruit and spit make a drink and that drink being a psilocybin because if that person is clever he's obviously seeing things and doing things that mere mortals wouldn't see so it really ties all in together yeah uh and i have a i have an interesting book that um i've, I've started it's about the oracle of delphi and the reason i bring it up is because i know and it, it discusses as well a little about the let's say current theory or more modern theory about either some gas or some sort of psychedelic right fumes being involved in in that but i'm curious do, do you did you study any of this or do you have any knowledge on what i don't know what the fumes actually were but i'm, I'm, I'm familiar with some aspects of, of the oracles and it's quite interesting because there are some uh statues made outside outside uh, delphi with plaques on them that say the the sort of prediction that was made and, and it's quite interesting to see that because you can see how people make things up and how myth develops just by looking at some of the stories on these. It's, it's, just, it's an interesting uh, aspect of that. But yes, it's, um, I mean, they had the whole point of having a, a virgin sort of like, in effect, like a controlled priestess almost um, doing that is, is, again, something we see certainly in European mythology um, where it's thought that women made better sort of connections to the divine compared to men yeah that was it was so interesting to read about because i guess you know when you do come across the oracle of delphi you don't really understand what they mean like they are so first off there are these people are coming to consult the oracle right and then you start to read and you figure out that they are holding potentially not just one there could be two three four virgins in there that are only to do that that's it they live for this and they're stuck there and it's like who is taking care of them? <laughs> My brain goes to logistics too, as well. Like, what are we doing here? But at the same time, it's like, this is a fascinating thing. So these people live to connect with the gods and then give the information to someone who might then decide to invade the Spartans or 
whatever. And you see that with Vestal Virgins as well, very similar things. So they were looking after a flame. Uh, and, 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 and you did the actual uh, story of the creation of Rome have the, has the, uh, the lady who gave birth to Romulus and Remus to create Rome. She was when um, the king was overthrown and that was his daughter. Uh, his daughter was that daughter was made a vestal virgin, so she couldn't get pregnant and give birth. So in effect, it was a way to to put maybe high status women away, so they couldn't give birth to create people heirs of parents, so to speak, to the existing ruler. Wow, wow. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm shifting it up pretty significantly here, but there's just tons of different stuff. Uh, I started to watch another another video this is probably like two or three weeks ago or i think at least about the what gods fear oh yes um, yes and that is fascinating as well um we i feel like also in the west let's say with our understanding of the one god and i know that catholicism and it's hard for some people not just catholicism but just uh christianity in general does have its link to uh polytheistic uh religions you know beforehand and and all of this stuff and then obviously things changed somewhere and I'm, I'm guessing they changed with rome where there was one god or maybe it was perhaps one pope or one king who was just like nope this is this and coast right yep it was constantine okay great so the uh idea i'm i'm, I'm questioning about what did the gods fear <laughs> uh specifically um and uh, well, let's just start there we'll go there okay so and this really comes from the polytheistic sort of times where by gods you know, some gods were mortal so the, the old Norse gods so the gods of the Vikings uh, they could be killed and actually Ragnarok which is uh, the the eschatology of, of the old Norse uh, gods do die Odin dies and Thor dies so all these gods that are considered powerful and unkillable die because, because there are other monsters around and, this, and you know, Zeus was afraid of of the python, um, is it python? Uh, and well, the serpents that had Kronos and, and the like, and then all these could kill the gods. And so, well, this is a, a story of why are there these events happening, um, within the mythology? Why do the gods, if they're meant to be so superior, go through this story? And it's quite interesting because the feedback you get from people who are believers in Abrahamic religion is that. Well, there's only one God, and he's he's afraid of nothing. But the fact is that I think the people before that needed their gods to prove their worth. And in fact, the whole aspect of Near Eastern creation is actually a justification of the of the God being in power. So you see this fight between uh, parents and children uh, to establish order. You see uh, sons killing mothers and sons killing fathers and, and, and sons sleeping with daughters and, and the like to eventually create the the god that is the chief god of the pantheon and, and the other gods. And in a way, it seems like it's a way to justify that. Now, what we can't tell for sure, we haven't seen, is whether the gods being killed were actually in power. And this is actually a real reflection on how the gods were put into power. So before... We have the gods of Near East, like Marduk, you know, who was before Marduk and who was before him, and you know, who was before him. It was Kronos, a god of Greece, before Zeus came along. 
you know, was Uranus a god? And it's probably not because of the names, and we, we can place them in certain aspects of mythology. But yeah, it's interesting nonetheless on, on trying to establish why the people at the time needed this order within their pantheons and within the creation myth to establish the, the, their gods or power. I'm curious because uh, in, in you just touched on obviously the Abrahamic uh, religions as well. Is there, and if if we're looking at the religions as a stemming from one point, let's say, and then branching out, is there a central theme with all religions that isn't uh, apart from let's say love? I don't know if that is the love your neighbor, or I don't know what the central theme could be for majority of religions that could be one starting point for it, right? But is there a central theme that, that you know, could almost undeniably show that these have come from the same place? Do they share the representation of one God who is always, you know, I mean, uh, you're, you're familiar probably with what the slaves did when they moved to, you know, Cuba, uh, Yoruba, and these, they had to change the names of... That happens it, everywhere. And they match. Yes. Yeah. And they, so they match these Christian guy, but that's really this and, and, and stuff like this. Uh, so I'm just curious, is there, is there any central um, theme that, that's... The, the only central theme is that there is religion. Because religion changes, I mean, because we know some of the early stories didn't have God. I mean, the early stories, in the beginning, there was nothing. Oh, okay. Not even God. God okay. hasn't turned up at this point. And there's light and there's sea. Often there's light and sea and... Uh, and then mud appears via a bird, which is quite interesting. So we can go back because you talked about Noah, we didn't even touch on that. But there's a bird in the earliest creation myths called the Earth Diver. And this bird is swimming on this sea in this world of nothing and dives into the sea to the bottom of the sea to bring mud up to the surface. And when it brings mud up to the surface, it solidifies and becomes land. And that's how land is created. And then from this land, a tree grows and the tree pushes the sky up. And that's all the night up, and that's how we get sky. And then animals come from the rocks and the dirt on the land, and humans come out the tree. And that's that's sort of the, the main motifs of the early Smith. Now, when that myth travels into Asia, uh, many people in Asia aren't close to the sea and, and Siberia, so they change the myth. And the myth, rather than the world is created from the sea, they have uh, sort of other myths of. Um, sort of the, the land is, is already there and, and a tree grows and it, it drops fruit or whatever. But what is interesting is the bird, and that is that their world is then flooded and the flood myth gets created. And in the flood myth, the bird is sent out to find land and comes back with it. And eventually, that part of the myth goes to the Near East and when Noah releases his dove that flies off to grab branches from the olive tree and comes back, that is... In essence, uh, the motif of the earth diver from tens of thousands of years before just been reappropriated as the flood myth. Wow, wow, uh, and I'm I'm curious because you've taken all this time to look back at myths, and I don't think I asked this last time. And there's obviously going to be a future, and. Where do you see myths changing now? Like, do we do we talk now? And are are we going to talk about the internet was this amazing thing? And like, is our new god and AI is our new god? Where are we going? So, 
depends on what you think of as a myth. To me, academically, a myth is a story that has a sacred truth. And that's quite specific in the sense that that means there are some people in the world that believe that myth is true, even if the rest of the world doesn't. So that could mean the Bible is a myth by all the people who don't believe in God. It means the Old Norse story is a myth for those who don't believe in Odin or, or whatever. The, the Australian story is a myth if you don't believe in a rainbow snake. So what the question today is, is there anything sacred today um, that some people believe that many other people don't? And this is like the conspiracy theory thing. So you could argue that maybe aliens and Roswell is a myth because it's not legendary, because you haven't proven anything and it's gone out of existence. And there's hints that it is a myth because some people believe aliens are, are real. And you could almost go, your aliens are gods in that sense. Yeah, they're supernatural beings, not of this world. Um, so that is probably the, the closest you get to myth, but who knows? Um, yeah, if it's got to be sacred, but because there's the, the amount of people who believe in the supernatural is going downhill rapidly. Uh, I think the age of myths is over. And it has, that's really quite interesting because it's exactly what people like Tolkien talk about. Yeah, when his book, Lord of the Rings, it's really a story about the world was magical once. And then at the end, you know, it's, it's all doom and gloom and the age of man and machine and that and all the magic's gone. And we've lost touch with myth. That is you know, a great analogue to where we are. And it seems like when we talk about losing touch with myth, we also it seems you lose touch with nature in a certain sense or some exactly. sort of flow, right? And that doesn't seem good necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly why I study mythology is because I would really love to understand what our ancestors were thinking. Because at the end of the day, all these myths, almost, well, many of them came from the same source. We're all the same people at the end of the day. For the, you know, we all have the same fears about death and the same all about creation and we all are scared of our own dragons you know they are the key myths that have followed us through for tens of thousands of years and yeah what what were we thinking and why do we think that that is to me is the the beautiful thing if you can capture bits of how our ancestors thought that was never written down because of that story that myth that is a a real insight of something you know, we should hold on to and wonder why because they they experience the world as we would never experience it that perspective exactly is what drives me to continue to look into it because clearly they see the world in a way that we just do not or the average person does not and we're not incapable of seeing the world like that we choose to be blocked into whatever phones this uh, the work uh, nine to five or whatever it is that 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 has pulled our attention and you definitely just feel like you miss out on on something like that exactly how many times do you look up at the sky yeah, you ask people to look exactly. at the night sky at the start. I mean, if you could see the stars. But if you could see the stars, how many people actually do it? I mean, that, or just walking through the woods after it's rained or forest and those smells and those sounds, you know, or, or swimming in the sea. There's just some beautiful things out there that many people just won't experience today. Yeah, they, they won't. And I know, it, and it's a crazy thing because with all of the shifts in technology and things like that anyway, um, it seems almost as if we're going to forget, uh, like future generations might forget that this was important. And I know even myths, they're trying to tell the story of things that were happening and they're kind of trying to maintain this level of remember this, don't forget this, this is important, these people did this or we believe this and 
here's what we want to save this information for you. Um, and it, it wants to, I, I want to touch on the hero's journey because I know you have uh, done that as well. We had on a professor who is very, very uh, uh, adept within within that, but I, I want to get your take on the title of the video uh, I saw was, are all journeys the same? And that's that, that, that common theme, right? Is that the hero's journey is the story. That is what we are going through. Uh, what do you think? To me, the hero's journey is the typical story, but it certainly isn't the only story. So, and then, and it works really well. We sort of attuned to it because the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Harry Potter, you just change those characters around and the same story. It's absolutely the same story. So that kind of story works all the time. And it's been, yeah, and that's why Hollywood is almost like a, a science now. You know, they type things into a computer, they tell you whether the story's going to work. And that's why all films feel really the same. Um, but, but you know, then you get people like Quentin Tarantino come along and, and create Pulp Fiction and, that, and you think, now that's a, that's a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're the common stories, but there are many other stories and, you know, the stories of death aren't heroes' journeys. Stories of creation aren't heroes' journeys. Many of the dragon myths aren't heroes' journeys. The plug myths aren't heroes' journeys. The heroes' journeys are, I think, just stories that, well, are, are, are just a nice common thread that makes us feel happy about telling a story. You know, they're, they're a nice common story. How familiar are you with the Salem Witch Trials? Uh, I'm aware of them. I don't know the details of them, but I'm, I'm familiar with the witchcraft. Yeah. Right, exactly. The, well, that's really where I'm going, but the reason that I, I say that is because I saw something on the Salem Witch Trials, and I realized that that's one of those things that people kind of cite but never actually know anything truly about. And the story is truly fascinating uh, when you dig into it. But the origins of witchcraft in general, I'm sure you have some sort of idea of. Maybe you could you could touch on that. There's sort of different views on this, but we, we certainly sort of see the creation of witches or, or this kind of character mentioned over 2,000 years ago. And I think the Bible mentions something. Some people think, oh, no, it's a, an alchemist or a spell caster, not necessarily a witch. But we sort of see this female figure who can tell the future and, and, and forewarn of stuff, and that carries on. And, uh, yeah, witchcraft, I guess, starts to get a bad rap due to Christianity. But it got particularly bad rap because there was a book written, uh, I want to say Malfacorum, something or other, um, folklore and that like isn't really my strongest subject on that. But um, there, there was a book written saying, this is how you discover which and this is how you should try them. And when that came out and people realised, actually, I can get paid if I say someone's a witch, like literally you can walk into your village, see an old lady say, she's a witch, someone will pay you five shekels and boom, she's dunked underwater. And if she survives, she's a witch. Um, and you know, that's, well, that's probably summarised a little bit too, too easily. But yes, that, that's the idea. And yeah. although there were a significant number of men killed as well as part of those trials, um, it, it wasn't just women. But yeah, I think it was just the way, I think initially people were manipulated and the whole thing was manipulated. But um, for people to make money as much as people really believe people are riches, but it was also a way of Christianity to push itself a bit further, I think. So that's, that's how I really see it in the synopsis, but there's some amazing, amazing um, sort of material out there still from, from old 
sort of occult books and the like talking about spells and things that happen. Um, I've got a little, I've made a video about them. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it is an unfortunate part of our, our or, or Christianity's uh, history. Uh, I know the, the Vatican has apologised a little about it, but uh, not not, <laughs> a little. not 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 enough, yeah. I think, to 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 justify them killing all the people they've killed. Right, right. Uh, the the men within that were they considered wizards? Uh, warlocks, I think, is the correct warlocks. definition for male witch. But again, okay. because witches are made up, you can call them whatever you want really and and people are going to argue so uh but yeah what do you what do you then think of just like those the the book of spells the rituals and all the things behind that most witches most people who would say probably be involved in i guess you could call that the occult now uh, uh let's say that the, this ritualistic spell type of you know uh practice at least feel that they are having an effect Yes, on. absolutely. So it's, it's how you understand magic. So, okay. I, I know I, no, I don't believe in magic. So, but I can only no. give you my opinion on what I've I've read because there'd be people who really believe in magic and will say what I'm saying is wrong, and some people say it's right. Okay. But but magic is it isn't necessarily strong. So you say you know, abracadabra and someone dies, but it it often tends to be a, a layered approach over much time. So if someone says, oh, "I hope he." dies, I hope he dies, and they say that every day for 10 years, and then suddenly that person dies, they'll attribute it to the fact that the last 10 years they're saying they died, they're done. If, right. You get what I mean? There's a lot of that, you know, it's, it's all about little, it's described as little, little bits of magic all accumulating into something happening, if something happening, then obviously that was the magic, it's, it's a confirmation bias of, a, of an event. What about in, in the past? Did they not have, uh, like, I don't know. Uh, here's one that you always throw, like uh, making it rain, changing the weather. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, I could see them doing the same effect where it's like it hasn't rained for exactly, exactly. And who, who knows? And yeah, there's some great stories. Okay. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, I think it was, who was uh, his army was pretty much about to be defeated by barbarians. They hadn't drunk for a few days. They'd run out of food, and they're on the cusp of defeat. And um, a priest within his ranks called for rain and it rained and it rained so hard it washed the enemies away and the Romans could eat and this is actually put on a pillar in Rome this story it's called the rain miracle and what's interesting about that is then uh, the Christians then write about this saying oh it was a Christian priest that prayed for rain but actually if you look at the uh, material we actually find it was an Egyptian priest talking about it and and the um, the soldiers were predominantly pagan not Christian and it's quite it's quite interesting how you not only see sort of evidence of the story that you know this is what Christians did. Yeah, they were the ones writing at the time, so they took the history. But luckily, there was elements left around us really allow us to be, you know, sure that actually it was a pagan thing. But yeah, so yes, those sort of things happened. And if it didn't work, they say, well, you didn't pay me enough. I mean, you you often get fortune tellers saying, I can tell you a fortune, or I can make the future happen. But the more you pay me, the more likely it is to happen. It's just a you know. A, a bit like, yeah, the, uh, what was it? There was a time when obviously you could pay to get one of your loved ones into heaven, right? Quicker. All the time, yeah, if you have a statue in the in the temple, then you, you're always in the presence of God, so you're definitely going to heaven. I get it. And uh, before we hop off Christianity, one of the, the cool clips 
um, that we made last time had to do with Jesus. And I was asking you whether or not he was real. And then you said, you had me define what I meant as real. Yeah, oh, uh, Jesus. So yeah, there's no, there's no son of God who could perform miracles that was walking the world, walking mm -hmm. about. But were, were okay. there people called Jesus or a similar name, the equivalent Hebrew name, walking around, yeah, creating these sort of things? Possibly, but it doesn't, so it doesn't really matter because that has no effect on the stories. You know, it, 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 there, there was no one significant doing that. So I'm sorry. I mean, and yeah, but but no, probabilistically, I don't think there was a Jesus. You know, or, you know, a single figure that was great, but there are a number of people who think there is. You know, it's it's, it's no one knows. Yeah, very, very, very popular <laughs> religion. Let's say yes. No, but uh. Uh, the one thing just to, the, to finish up on Jesus and Jesus Christ, the, the way we, we manage time in the West, obviously we can say this even, you know, there's the before Christ or, you know, uh, after, et cetera, you know, it's kind of been getting mixed around, but I was reading some stuff on the ancient Mayans who tracked their time to, I believe the birth of Venus, uh, and I don't know what the significance is or what the significance is for them, what Venus meant to them or what Venus meant. I saw you had, you definitely have some, uh, some videos on astrology. Yeah. Yeah. It's touching a bit. Okay. Cause Venus is the brightest star and then it's, it's periodical. So you tend to come out over summer or over winter, depending on where you are in the world. Um, uh, and because of that, it was seen as a mother figure, sort of like the mother of the world, the mother of the universe, because it was so bright and always there. So it, it had that applied to it. And that's why you often see it as, well, that is the star of creation. That is, that is why we're here. Everything must have come from that star. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it fa fascinating, obviously, the differences, because um, there are another, that's a whole other fascinating uh, culture in, in and of themselves. But uh, there were some discoveries in Mexico that have to do with aliens. Let's say discoveries, I'll put that in quotation marks, with the alien thing going on. I didn't pay much attention. I just saw the thing and I was like, ah, no. I, I didn't see much, but I didn't want to. I saw enough you, and yeah. I didn't see much. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <clears throat> those things were tiny, right? Uh, and the there are always stories of giants from the past. What do we make of these? Good question. So giants could have been as small as always those aliens, or could have been as large as a skyscraper. So giant didn't didn't necessarily reflect the size; it reflected what the being was. So we see uh, a giant in Egypt is literally the size of your thumb. There was, there was one Ptah, I think it was, a small bee. It became big, um, but they often refer to a culture or a tribe that preceded the current culture and so for my sort of research and there's all sorts of stories so so this will only apply to a section but to me as i say it applies to a previous culture and that's because you get stories such as uh, if you imagine in uh, britain who built stonehenge now if you've just come across from europe which happened and Stonehenge had been built by the the previous agricultural farmers. Um, you wouldn't have known that, and so who built those? It must have been a giant. And so the stories of giants seem to come from trying to make sense of environmental 
considerations that that you couldn't understand why they were there. It must have been a giant, it must have been someone big, if it wasn't sort of a godlike type thing. Yeah, I mean, those stories, that's, that's crazy. Like the, right, w- w- I don't know if there's any equivalent in any other religion, but uh, Goliath, or the story of David and Goliath. Yes, you get that, because, oh, I see some before that, uh, the Nephilim, I talked to me about giants, and you get a lot of people telling me, oh, the Smithsonian Museum went along, collected up all their skeletons and hid them, and that's why you can't see evidence anymore, of course. Um, but yeah, yeah. so Samson and, and Goliath is, is an interesting one, and it's, and it's a very similar foot into, actually, wars between gods of different cultures. So oh, so you had the Assyrian, the Neo War, and the Old Norse. You have similar wars in, in uh, the Vedic culture. Uh, and we, we see it all around this battle between... Um, normally between sort of different farming types, between agricultural farmers and pastoral farmers, um, but also between farmers and non, non-farmers. And it just seems to be... Yeah. People like to have a a story of conflict, you know, where where the the, the underdog wins or, where, you know, or, or at least draws um, to, to carry on and to establish order within that cultural community. Um, and and that's, that's interesting why that is, but I can't actually see a a strong link between all these myths. It isn't like there was a single myth and they all came from that. Well, it doesn't feel like that. It seems like these myths have have just developed on the idea that everybody, everybody likes a good fight in, in the ancient times. You know, a bit of patriarchy in there, and yeah, the story's just built up from that. From yeah, what what was the best fight we can have in our myth? Oh yeah, let's get to great gods or. Let's get a sort of an underdog that can never win against the strongest man we know and, and make them win. So uh, I think it's just like an archetype um, type, type of motif in that. Uh, you touched on conspiracies there too. And so it makes me think, uh, as skeptical as you are, because you're a person who's actually looked and can kind of spot the dots, you have a unique take there. Because I think for most people that might be into something, if they, if they garnered your knowledge and they had your perspective that might change their viewpoint before they just rushed to say, like, someone stole all of the giant skeletons from the Smithsonian, or the Smithsonian was in on it, and then they wanted to keep you keep you out. So my question is, what of the conspiracies do you have a hard time knocking down, and you're just like, well, can't quite catch this one? Oh, oh. Um, none of the religious conspiracies I I can agree with nothing nothing because there is, is no God there is no religion in my world let's say any story you tell me about religion I can tell you an older story yeah yeah so they are man-made that, that's just it uh, the I, I guess it's more modern monsieur, and certainly recent times we've seen some uh, creation around sort of groups of people who rule the world sort of these these financial Types, you know, BlackRock, well, they own X trillion dollars, so they control the, you know, the planet without realizing actually they don't actually have X trillion dollars. They've borrowed X trillion dollars from all people around the world who, you know, have given them the money to look after so they can go and take it out when they become, you know, to be rich and buy their own houses. So, yeah, you, you see that people, again, there's a lot of confirmation bias and people just see what they want to see. And that, that is the whole point of uh, these. Uh, type of thing so I think that's the hardest one to to sort of knock or, or those kind of the establishment you know they 
are in control and they do this and they do that but there's always issues with it but I just but people believe it so much it's just I you know, I can't knock it down it's just I can't be bothered knock it down I mean, it's like the, the media today is just so good at pushing whatever agenda it wants to push and if you're the sort of person who reads the media and watches the media you believe what you're told I mean I don't have a television and so I'm blissfully unaware of all the nonsense. I mean, most news, when there is no news, is about people who are only famous because they're on television. If you don't watch television, 90% of the news is irrelevant to you because you don't care about these famous people. Yeah, so that's a that's being generous too. That it's 90% majority majority of what they will say. Now, obviously, uh, barring conflicts in your region, etc. Obviously, but. When there's nothing like this happening in your spot, they will tell you about the the robbery that happened here, or this person died, or this kind of thing happened. And, you know, it, it, it's never, and I, I there's always this joke. I don't know where this, some, someone had this joke, the, the idea to start a, a good news network, where instead of just oh, all yes. the, obviously the, just smashing you with death and destruction and robbery and poor, you know, poverty that they would tell you good things that are happening because this is this. And so it always brings me back to your perspective and your choice, right? You being blissfully ignorant of the, the, the robbery that happened in your country somewhere at some place, sometime, you know, it doesn't affect you necessarily. It does not. Right. And, uh, I, it always brings it back to me and you being able to choose not just your thoughts, but what comes in, because it's really hard if you live and watch that TV to then go out and be like, all right, let me just wipe that from my head. Exactly. I mean, be peaceful. I'll tell you, to most people, get rid of your television, you know, read a book, enjoy life. The, your life would be so much more fulfilling. You know, I can't, to walk into someone's house and their main room has a television at the centre of it, I, I do create an opinion of that family. Family. Yeah. And it, yeah. yeah. And this is my front room and it's a million books. You know, it's a, it's so fascinating. I mean, even we could touch on books because I, I imagine the majority of what you studied has come through books. Maybe do you, do you listen to things? Oh, I well? do Audible occasionally. Um, yeah, and I watch YouTube okay. and I'll, I'll listen to shows like right. yours where you interview people that I wouldn't get yeah. a chance to talk to. Yeah, I just right. want to learn. I just there is not enough time for me to learn, and and then I want to put what I learn into action. And there just isn't even enough time for that. I mean, I've got projects that. Yeah, I, I wish I could live forever, forever in a way too because. Yeah. Because I want to do so much and help so much and, and, and write so much and yeah, get to let people know so much. Yeah, I completely feel you there. And uh, yeah, I just the 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 love of reading and learning and the curiosity with which it can do. And I I feel for the society and maybe some some of the younger generation now that maybe don't have that because the pull of TikTok. We're on TikTok, right? Our 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 um. Our content is educational uh, or inspirational to learn languages, right? Because that's another thing that I enjoy doing. Yes, you speak many languages, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 what that's what it is, right? So that's our contribution to it. But whenever I maybe am on there and I I, I, I go to the home screen, it is mind blowing. Not just what's on there, the speed and the uselessness of Missouri, and and then you'll get this. They might even take some stuff that could be good to learn. They'll package it in a short form 
uh, way, right? Even if they could take one of your videos, right? It's packed with information. They'll, they'll try and cut out all the good points. And they'll put it in there for a minute. If you watch this video for a minute, the second you flip off and there's some girl shaking, you know, everything, and then there's a, a, a football goal, and then there's, a, you have no idea what you learned in that first minute. You have no clue because you can't learn like that. And, and, and so be back to your point on reading books and being aware, your brain changes when you do these things. I can't explain how I feel when I read. It is a different, it is, yeah, it's just a different world. I, I, yeah, it's, uh, and I get overly excited about, I get oh, overwhelmed sometimes reading because it is, yeah, I sometimes can't read because I know I can't cope with the emotional happiness I'm going to go through by reading because I just won't be able to stop and I'll have too many ideas and I want to write things. And it's just like, how can I cope with all, all that? It's, um, and then, yes, I mean, I've, I've looked at TikTok a couple of times because I thought as a YouTuber or creator, I should do that. But exactly, I looked at this and the first few were just, is, is that what your life is? Yeah, is that <laughs> what? I, know. I, I don't get it. What, what value are I you know. to society? Yeah, you're talking about, and that's funny too, because it's your, and, and clearly, yes, like you said, I mean, the, the Pareto principle is at play here, just as it is in, in all parts of nature and stuff like this, but the majority of it is crap, uh, right? And the majority of all things are, are crap. It's, that's, that's how it works, right? But it seems as if that we are rewarding the wrong things within uh, TikTok, whether or not that's us rewarding it or us being manipulated, you know, if you want to go down that route, just for some people, uh, but... Regardless, um, there's this quote by one of my favorite footballers. I actually got a chance to play against him. His name's Clarence Seedorf. He played for uh, AC Milan um, and he, for the Dutch national team, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he has this quote where it's, uh, and I'll, I'll butcher it, but I can paraphrase to some degree, in which case now your goal as a footballer, a young person, pretty much in, in, in all sports though, is to become a star, right? Yes, I've and heard so, this, yes, for someone. Instead of being good at the thing that would make you a star, yes. you want to just be a star. And I see it everywhere. And it's it's rampant across. And the problem I have with it is that I see kids following the person who just wants to be a star. So he's just going to say whatever it takes, do whatever it takes, show you the, the, the goal, get the car next to him. Whatever it takes, they'll just say that and they'll, they'll go, do this, do this. And I'm thinking... That's just not gonna. If you if you follow this, it won't end up the way you exactly. think. So the life's a facade. Like anyway, you know, what is the real value of it? I mean, to me, I've and it's this thing I talk about occasionally, and I mentioned it, I think in our last uh, talk, which is that there's this Indo-European poetic phrase that fame does not decay, and what that talks about being a star is about doing enough good in your life that people want to talk about you. Yeah, you know, for, forever, not just for that thirty seconds of. TikTok fame or whatever. I mean, although I would like to also balance it out by saying not all of this, the younger generation or Generation Z, or, I mean, there's use TikTok or, you know, or in that way that we do have hope in humanity. But I just wonder, you know, those who spend more than 10 minutes a day looking at TikTok, I wonder that 10 minutes you could probably do something better to make your life 0.1% better. And if you do that every day by the end of the year, Billing. It's crazy. That's it's it. crazy what can happen. That's so true. And you're right about that. There is some pushback. We have some young guys in our in our in our company, and I will constantly ask them. And obviously, we have young guys who are part of our our subscription uh, on the football side. And I'll ask them, and quite a few are just like, "Yeah, nah, I'm 
they get it. They get like, this is kind of trash. Like they, they obviously participated in it. They have plenty of friends that are in that and they, they got caught in it. But then it just doesn't hold on and just can't grip them forever, right? Because it just doesn't give you that return. And eventually you just like, this is shit. I don't want to do this. I don't feel good after I scroll. I don't remember anything. It kind of feels good at the time, but then I'm I'm upset and I, I feel shame. Seven hours feel on TikTok. <laughs> but yeah, that could, I'd feel shame actually when I'd spend seven hours on it. That'd be, yeah, you wouldn't get that time back. It's, it can't. It happens. It happens. Uh, so, okay, but you're, uh, uh, speaking of reading books, though, one thing that I found is when I do read books, time flows differently uh, as opposed to having to, say, uh, whatever, scroll or most of anything, right? It seems like time really slows down. I will, I will read, I'll get, I'll get trapped in my, my book. And then I kind of look up and be like, Oh, you know, and I do also have the feeling that time passes when it's really fun as well, but it always seems well spent. My question is on time, on the myths and the past and their thoughts on time. Cause I always, I'm always asking the guests what they feel because we have people who are in this understanding of nonlinear time, uh, and how that worked. What did the myths, is there any touch on time, time travel even maybe? Not time travel. The, the, the main myth about time is, is death. Or not death, it's called the other world. So before there was heaven and hell, there was the other world, which in a way sort of overlaps with the underworld and, and, and what we would call heaven in the future, but may actually be a, a separate place. It's, it's hard, with the emerging hard. But in the other world, it is a place without things, but it's often thought as a paradise. So when you died, it's thought you went to this place and it was, you know, you, you were never hungry again and you, there was it was always warm and, and things. And there was all these great things. But actually, when you studied texts, you actually realize it's a place without anything. It's a place without hunger and without heat, but without cold and without night and without the darkness without worry and it is a, and it was described like that because there wasn't a word to describe it but basically it was just light the place but it was also a place without time and, and there's description there's a Celtic description about the voyage to this land where uh, these people on this land come across an angel and they say so we've been you know, we've been here a couple of days and and haven't managed to eat or anything so what's going on the angel said no no you you, you haven't eaten because you don't feel hungry and actually, you've been here for a year. And they're like, ah. And then and then they leave and, and, and go back to reality. So, yes, the, the other world is the only place where time is really mentioned in terms of sort of how it passes, yeah, apart from the recognition or the reckon, yeah, um, recognizing that uh, for you to be immortal in terms of time, people need to remember you and remember your name. So, so the view there is that. You may die physically, but you don't actually die until someone stops speaking your name. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that is, uh, that's, yeah. It reminds me of, <clears throat> I, I, I currently, I have Marcus Aurelius' meditation. You mentioned him. Uh, so I'm just kind of, it's kind of started that I've got, just like you, I'm surrounded by books. Uh, and so you know how it is, it's never ending, but, uh, the, the, Stoics and the the cynics as well. Just this understanding of having to master your mind. There was nothing more important than the mastery of your mind um, in order for you to then utilize, like you, 
let's say let's say utilize your gifts and utilize your powers and and things like this it was so important for them to have an orderly orderly mind use your gifts don't get lost in these distractions don't get lost in your emotions obviously um and uh so it touches on with what we were talking about earlier uh i another quick switch since we're just about about done here though we've never talked about and i know this is from a friend they've told me that faithful and fairies are kind of becoming popular again mm -hmm. in some genre perhaps in reading but yeah to some degree yes, let's yeah. just say but more than for sure like when i was uh younger i'm sure in, in in the in the zeitgeist what do you think of those i mean people gotta love to want to believe that there were used to be gnomes fairies that's a common belief see and, and like many things we've discussed today our our visualization of these things tend to be very victorian influenced so in victorian times people created all, all this imagery and that's the imagery we sort of see today because it was published but fairies aren't the little tinkerbell things you see in peter pan you know fairies can be monstrous beings that sit on your stomach and eat your soul when you sleep they can they're quite happily rip off your head um if they know your name they have power over you so uh, there's uh, there's all sorts of mythology around that so uh, the Fae, as people want to believe them and see them today, just are just a, a bit of Victorian folk tale. The actual Fae of almost myths. I mean, there, there wasn't really too much Fae going on in myth. It is more folklore. Um, yeah, are, are very different beings, beings you shouldn't. They're, they're not evil and not necessarily good, but let's say you want to play a game like, oh, like, let's say your fairy comes up to you say, oh, do you want to play football with my head? And you play football with your head. That what they'll assume is then they can use your head to play football. It is a bit I fatal. See. So you uh, probably don't do that. Yeah, or if you accept <laughs> a present and say thank you, then you're further in their debt, so you can't do that there. It's quite a... Yeah, there's, there's some real rules around that kind of folklore and, and faith. So I would recommend people don't stand in mushroom circles, don't tell people your name, and, and stay away from the fate. And that way your life will be better. If they did exist. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I always remember from that is even in a, let's say, a dream state or with the fae folk, you're not supposed to accept their food. What is that? Cause you, cause, because they, will ex they expect a gift from you. Okay. And, 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 they, and they can take, what, take they what they want. And if they've got your name, they can create real power over you. So you never use your name. There's lots of books like that. Patrick Rufus has a great book, name, The Name of the Wind. Yeah, which you should, and all the characters there, you don't really know their names. Because you, you just shouldn't know your name. Yeah. So my name is actually John F. White, just in case. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know <laughs> yeah. This. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, last question, um, because I'm always trying to pull off of the knowledge of the, the guests that I have on, and, you know, especially people like yourself. And I think I asked you something similar like this last time, but it's always good to, to get a refresher. After studying all these myths and and trying to live the life that you do live, because we got a little bit more background into kind of how you see, you know, uh, your way of navigating the current modern society. What sort of perspective, what sort of thing could you give to someone that wants to change their life using the knowledge that you have gained from these, the study of myths and the perspective on whether that's what they should do and pursue, uh, whether or not they... You know, should obviously don't scroll on TikTok, but that's not necessarily yeah, coming from from it. But you get yeah, where I'm yes. going. So, um, what have you pulled? I would, 
I would first give someone two books. I'd give them Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I'd also give them a copy of the Hovermall, uh, which is a book, a poem within the Poetic Edda, which is a a group of sayings spoken about 1,200 years ago, which are still as relevant today as they were 1,200 years ago. Which says, What's it called again? What's it called? The Hovermall is called. It's, it's a, probably the probably first or second most popular poem from the Poetic Edda. Uh, and it, it means the Odin's words or the words of the wise one. And he says things like, if a guest turns up at your door, treat them well, keep them warm, be nice. Uh, but it also says things like, uh, men lie to sleep with a woman, basically. You know, men are big liars. And it's a little, you know, there's something you think, oh, you shouldn't really say that, but it, it's, it's, I mean, the, the road to a friend becomes harder to travel the longer you don't see them. And still things like that. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a great, yeah, inspirational. Good maxims. Exactly. For life. Um, so to, to those two books, I'll get someone to read just to understand life and how you should think and how you should be mature in your thinking. Because people don't necessarily, I think, understand the consequences of some decisions in their life now, later on. And it's a real shame that maybe some brilliant kids now make mistakes that may affect them later on in life. Um, so, uh, so something like that. Uh, but what else would I take away? Uh, don't waste your time on religion. You can be nice without it. Uh, uh, don't give your money to, to, to any of them. Uh, uh, and apart from that, just, you know, it, it's all about being kind to people, sharing, help everybody grow. And and hopefully you'll find that if you're mixing with the right people, that they will help you grow and be nice. It's all just... Yeah, you know, we are all the same. At the end of the day, we are all the same people. We all have the same stories right in our soul. You know, I say about creation and and death. You know, we all feel, we all mourn the same. We all want to be heroes in a way. We all you know, have our worries. We all want to fall in love. You know, those things are common stories for for a person, and it's great to live them. But you need to, yeah, just. Be, well, to me, I just feel the older I get, the, the the more I want to be kind, the more I want to teach, the more I want to give back, and hopefully people will like that. And yeah, you know, I've been really privileged with my YouTube channel, how that has taken off. I mean, we all have haters and things, um, but but George people, my, my community, brilliant, absolutely have have really changed my life, and um, and all I can do is keep on giving. That's a beautiful thing to me. I, I would agree to that. The, the the two things that I would touch on from what you said, number one on giving back, yeah, it's crazy, right? Because it's just never ending what you can do. And I'm shocked too as well by the success that we've had and, mm. and, and a lot of the lives that we've touched have been in the football world, but then they're, they're young people, but they're actually starting yeah, to- almost got a million subscribers, haven't you, I think, on your channel? Yeah, wow. Actually, almost brilliant. a million. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. so good. It's it, it's great. And, and, and then being able to work with some of them at a closer you know way to help them it's it's crazy because we're actually now we've been around long enough now for six years or so that some of the kids were kids and they're starting to be young adults now and they're coming back and they're leaving these the these 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 comments and they're they're reaching out to say how much you shaped all the stuff and it's crazy because you don't think that right you I mean you do but you can't until you're 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 face to face with someone who said dude you don't understand how you got me through this. You're touched in a different way. Exactly. It makes you think, okay. It gives you a purpose, uh, a real you know. purpose. And that's everything I think in life, having a purpose. Huge. 
Huge, huge. And the last thing I would say, the part on decisions, that's a tough thing, even for adults. Like you said, if you could just make your life 0.1% better, continually, 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 the compound effect of that is astronomical. And I know one of the most famous books out there right now is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And a lot of people, you know, enjoy, enjoy that. And the principles, and I, I, I talked to another friend about it, and they said that when they read it, they were just like, oh, yeah, duh. Like everything, nothing seemed so revolutionary. It was just like, oh, yeah, I should probably. I yeah, should like do that. Why don't I do that? That's stupid. It can't you know? no death. So, yeah. right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, we will link to everything. Obviously, you guys will like me, enjoy uh, everything that he has on the channel. And uh, is there anything else you got going on? You want to send any, anybody anywhere or anything coming up? I'm going to be presenting actually at the Mystify Con in Austin, Texas in April next year. So okay. uh, if any American folk around Texas region want to come and see me, feel free to come along. I'll happily have a cup of tea with you. If Texas sells such things down there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, did Mr. Con, there'll be information on my uh, YouTube channel soon about yeah. that. But that's the only major thing. Other news will okay. wait. Um, maybe for me yes. next talk. In fact, I should be able to see you. Yes. I say soon. And, you know, if you wanted a proper face-to-face. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll make that happen. I told you, yeah, I need to. That's been the shift that we've wanted to make happen as well because those face to face conversations, we can dive, you know, much deeper. So, exactly, exactly. So, thank you for your time, Mr. Pudding. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Peace out. Uh-huh.